Yes, we are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It's called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toladano. John Wall doesn't need no introduction. It's an insider's look at the NBA and culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick of the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall, will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's plenty to celebrate in March, and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. The I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast. Live. You're down with Rappaport. Yes, I am. 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 You better tune in. I am Rappaport.com. Cause every single podcast, you know he drops bombs. I seen him on set. A seasoned vet with true talent. Catch him on his way to CrossFit. Rocking the new balance. He asked me to do the track cause he know I rhyme elite. But I'm just waiting for the Robert De Niro line of the week. Breakfast of champions. Toasted bagel, cream cheese, and lox. This is I am Rappaport. The show never stops. We might catch him out in public. Stretching his knees. But if you don't listen to the show, yo, wiggle please. Wiggle please. This is the Podcast. What's up? This is Michael Rapport. You are now listening to the I Am Rapport Stereo Podcast. We got a fantastic episode with special guest, the man who brought my sources are telling me to the mainstream, Chris Broussard, formerly of ESPN now of Fox Sports One. We're talking NBA playoffs in real time, the ramification of LeBron James' greatness. And the time he met Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five in Des Moines, Iowa. All that and more on a fantastic Smash Mouth I Am Rappaport Stereo Podcast with special guest Chris Broussard, Miles Jordan. Let's get into it. Rapport Stereo Podcast. 
bring the innovators in. The man who, in my opinion, brought the term, my sources, <laughs> to the mainstream. Chris Broussard, NBA expert, hip-hop enthusiast. <laughs> this is the best time of year to have Chris Broussard on the podcast. Hey, it's, it's great to be here, man. You've blessed my podcast of course. in the zone on Fox Sports, so I'm glad to be here, and uh, I'm looking forward to the chatter. I'm yes. looking forward to it. I know you got a lot of stuff, a lot of junk to talk. So. I, I got a lot of junk to talk, but before I get into like general basketball stuff, this is what I'm curious about. You watch and follow, you know, sports in general, but NBA is your, that's yeah. your main wheelhouse. Yep. The, the, this is your time of year. So the question I have, what is the process for you? Now, we're, we're slimming down in terms of the NBA. There's only four teams left. There's two more series. It's not as intense. What is the process for you as Chris Broussard, the fan first, okay. the critic, the professional, now like two weeks ago when in the first round of the playoffs when there's you know two games on a night? Are you able to – this is like a three, maybe four-fold question. Are you able to, number one, enjoy basketball as a fan? Number two, are you watching at all as a fan? Number three, like, you know, because you watch, you tweet – you know, are, are you taking notes? Like, what is your process on a full slate of games night in terms of juggling all these things? Because yeah. you're a fan first, but now you're a pro. You have sources. You're communicating. Yeah. What is it like? And how many screens are you watching? Well, it, it differs depending on your job. Like, when I first, you know, years ago when I was with ESPN yep. as a reporter, a lot of times, I mean, for the last maybe four years or so, three, four years that I was at ESPN, I was actually doing sideline reporting. Right. So I would technically usually be... And I miss you be, on the sideline. Sideline reporting was fun. Okay. I mean, I, I'm more happy with my role at Fox. Right. But that's one thing that I do miss because that was always fun. And it was intense being in the arena. And so for that, just to give you a little background with that, like if I was, say I was doing it with Hubie Brown and... You know, Mark Jones or something like that. Uh, in the morning, I would go to shoot around and talk to players, coaches, and just get information that I might use during the game. And then back to the hotel. Then that night uh, at the game, me and the crew, Hubie and Mark, or whoever the crew was, we would meet with both coaches and we get to talk to them. And you know what was interesting? Like Greg Popovich who always, you, you know, is usually tough in an in-game interview for sideline reporters. He was great before the game. He was always, you know, relaxed and just gave you good information and nice. Uh, he never really got negative with me, thankfully, when, when I was a sideline mm -hmm. reporter. But you always were like, man, he was great at, at that point. You know, you just hoping he was that good on the sidelines. But uh, they gave me a tip, one of the Spurs PR guys, my first day with Pop. Uh, first time I was doing sidelines with Pop, I said, look, what, what advice can you give me? He said he hates it when you lead into a question. So let's say, you know, it's after the first quarter and you go, Pop, you know, you guys had seven turnovers in the first quarter. You know, the ball wasn't moving. What do you – he hates that type of leading. Mm -hmm. Just ask him the question. You might just – so that's what I did. I just went up to him and said – I, something like, you know, what are you going to tell your team heading into the fourth quarter? It was a third quarter interview when I did it. And he was good. And um, one, I'm not going to name the name, 
But one of our sideline reporters that was at ESPN with me, he was the same situation about a year or two later, coming in, first game he's going to do with Pop. He's like, man, what advice you got for me? And I told him the same thing. Look, don't lead in. You told just me, yeah, yo, lead question. in with a question. Like exactly, a period. Just get straight to And, of course, he got there. He led into it, you know, with like, Pop, you shot 37%, whatever it was. And Pop went off on him, you right. know, and uh, it was it was it was embarrassing for him, um, but yeah. So that's what it was like with sideline reporting. I was at one of the games. Um, now that I'm at Fox, you know, my job because now I'm an opinionist and an right. analyst for Fox. So now I just I really like watch the game. So if it's two games, obviously I'm watching both. Early in the playoffs, it was three. They might right. have one on NBA TV. Two Are you on watching ESPN. them at the same time? No, it depends on where I'm at. Um, but mostly, I might watch one game on TV, and then I have one on my computer. Mm-hmm. You know how you can get, mm-hmm. you know, your computer. So that way, I'm watching both. Or if one game is huge, and I know we're going to talk about that. So say it was the Cavs, right. whoever they're playing, and the other game was maybe. It was like, I think, these situations, Milwaukee-Boston. I'm focused more on the Cavs game because we're probably not going to talk about Milwaukee-Boston much, if at all. So I would focus on it. I can definitely enjoy it as a fan. That's that's one of the things I can do. Because you know, when we talk it on opinion shows, uh, Undisputed, Speak for Yourself, The Herd, whatever, um, you know, you're not generally getting into – that specific. There's always a general theme. Right. LeBron's performance, uh, you know, can the team recover from this? You know, so I can watch the game as a fan and enjoy it, uh, but obviously you're always kind of analyzing it. And when you've covered the league and you talk to coaches and scouts so much, you see things that maybe the average person doesn't see. You see right. the coverages. A lot of times you may be looking at, when they're running a high pick and roll, you may be looking at what's going on on the baseline. Uh-huh. Like are the play are the players on the offensive team cutting across each other, uh-huh. or is somebody else screening on the baseline for another guy? Like there's always other actions going on. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not just the high pick and roll where the ball is. Through your years of talking to the Popoviches and the Hubie Browns and the other coaches and the other GMs and the other minds. And I don't want you to single anybody out over anybody else. Who are some of the people that like wowed you and wowed you and you learned from like talking to a Hubie or talking to a Popovich in the pregame meetings that when they talk about basketball, you're like, oh, I don't know anything. Yeah. Or I just I just learned a whole other way to look at things or look at a defense. Tell, tell me some of those stories in those moments, if you can remember, or just the people that stick yeah. out when I ask you that. Well, Hubie... I could listen to Hubie Brown talk, you know, NBA all day. I mean, just I, I, I love it. Right? Yeah, I don't know if it's just the voice, it's the authority with which he speaks. But it's uh, a decade. He's got great stories. Yeah, and he's, he's experienced. He told me, you know, when he covered that, or he coached in the ABA and won championships, and he said that they would play, you know, the NBA and the ABA would play these exhibitions. He said the ABA would win two thirds of the times. You know, two out of three games the ABA would win. And it's interesting. And I hate to, you know, I don't want to get on your Knicks. But I will say this. When they won their championships, and it's not a slight, it's just what it is. Think about it. They won it 70 and 73. 
the eight you had a lot of the best players in the world in the ABA too. Right. You know what I mean? So, and obviously Dr. J led the New Jersey Nets to championship. Right. You had George Gervin, Moses Malone, Rick Barry, a lot of them in the ABA. So wait, wait, I'm wait, wait, wait. I feel like you're trying to you're trying to <laughs> no, take away what we no. bear like what we're hanging on to. I, I, right. Like I, was, I feel like that was like, that was that was the lead <laughs> in. Underhanded. No, I was going you know what I was gonna say? I'm glad. That it do, it hasn't taken away from those championships because mm. you're right. Like when you say the Knicks won it in '70 and '73, nobody ever says, "Yeah, but the league was water." You know what I mean? Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or when you say the Lakers won 33 straight yeah. in '72, nobody takes away from it, which is good. Um, and I think today people would take, you know, they're always criticizing something. And also it was so uh, undocumented. Yes. Yeah. We didn't, you know, you know there's no footage, know you exactly. know, like there's barely any ABA footage. Yep. The There's barely any footage of the 1970 uh, championship. There's barely any footage of the 73 championship. Yep. I don't know the exact point when things started being documented and kept, but you know, when I did when the garden was eaten, that, 1973 uh, game five, I believe, versus the Lakers, it was gone for years. And then wow. somebody found it. And if you look at like the way it's reported on uh, in, on NBA channels or even in the yeah. documentary, it was like off of somebody recorded the television and they didn't VHS it. I think they were videotaping the television. The television. Wow. That tape was lost and then someone found it. It was given back to the NBA and that's the only footage Sad. It's a, it is sad. Well, it, and, and you, you and it yeah. wasn't like covered in New York. Like that. That's like a sad championship because yeah. it happened in L.A. It was broadcast late. Like well, a, was it on tape? And it was. It was. It was. It was. It was live, but it was like you know, it was late in New York. Yeah. You yeah, know, there was yeah. no. There was no highlights. You know, and it was like Earl Monroe. You know, there was a sadness yeah. to that to that championship. Um, who else besides Shuby? Like, does it stick out where you like? I just would love to like this guy. Anytime he, I get a chance to like listen to him tell stories. Yeah. Well, I, I go back to when I covered the Knicks for the New York Times, and you know, you're talking to Jeff Van Gundy every day. Right. You know, so obviously Jeff has great wisdom about basketball. You know, what's interesting is that the Jeff Van Gundy you see today on the broadcast, who's hilarious with Mark Jackson and Mike Breen, you didn't get to see that Jeff when you covered the team. You he know, was, he was, he, he was, was just always serious, right? stressed. Yes, yes. I mean, he was stressed. He took the losing so hard. And with Jeff, everything was like a moral dilemma. You know, with the team, like, I mean, they weren't that great. They were, you know, they were a playoff team. They were okay. But they could go lose to the Kobe Shaq Lakers. And Jeff was like, we just didn't want it. We just didn't work hard enough. We got, you know, that was how he got guys like, which I guess makes sense because you never want your team feeling like we just aren't good enough. We can't do it. He would always see, look, if we do what we do, we're going to win. Even if you know we're all, we're undermanned. And so every loss that to him, that's what it was. It By was the weak. time he left as a New York Knicks coach, you were like, yo, I hope this guy makes it. He looked oh, beaten man. down. He had those crazy yes. bags under Bad, yep. hey, I don't know what was going on with his hair. He just looked like <laughs> I want, you know, like he he just you had to like, this has to stop. He li- well, to that point, because obviously he coached after that in Houston. Yeah. Um, but and the Knicks ran him into oh, the ground. No, the Knicks was the Knicks was terrible. And, and, and just coaching in New York, you know, the pressure of the media and coming so close. But yep. it's like even when we were close, we knew it was far, yeah, a little bit far away. Like y'all got to the finals, but you were undermanned. It was Robinson and Duncan, yeah. you know, you're facing. But Jeff, 
you know, he's obviously, you know, toyed with going back into coaching. Sometimes his name is mentioned as a possibility. And I've always said, look, whatever makes him happy, I hope he does, and whatever he wants to do, great. But I've always felt like, you know, man, I hope he doesn't go back. Don't to go back. Because right? like, he just seems so much happier. I totally agree. You know what I mean? And I, just, I, I guess, look, if something's in your blood, it's in your blood. But I have felt like for him, for his sake, his health, man, just stay in the booth. Also, when I was coaching or when I was covering Van Gundy, <laughs> yeah, right, Thibodeau was on that staff, Tom right. Thibodeau. So a lot of times the you talk staff. to – Yeah, yeah, yeah. You talk to the assistants – and, you you know, you're just getting knowledge from them. So who knew Thibodeau would become such a great coach? But you're just talking to him, learning the game. Dude, when, when like, somebody like Thibodeau, uh, when, when he was coaching, assistant coaching those Knicks teams, did you get a sense that he had a mind, like, that he was special? Or was did you do, was it, were you just getting, like, information yeah, from him? Yeah, honestly, I wasn't even thinking that. Well, I was just getting information, just learning the game, you know, talking to him about – different strategies. I can't remember specifics at this point, but just different strategies, different players and stuff. But now I can't, I'd be lying if I said I thought, okay, this guy's going to be a great head coach, you know. And it was interesting when he went to Boston and he was on Doc's staff and he, Doc, like, what I can't remember the reason. I don't know if it was suspension or whatever, but occasionally he might have to miss a game and Tibbs would take over, maybe even if Doc got ejected right, or something. right. And a lot of people in Boston thought Tibbs was going to be a disaster as a head coach. Uh, Remember, Boston didn't even offer him, I think, when Doc left. Right. or it was I can't remember the specifics, but Boston didn't offer him a job. Right. I think when Doc, when, maybe when Doc left or whenever it was. But obviously, I mean, he was tremendous in Chicago. He was a lot like Brad Stevens. Right. When he was winning with an undermanned team, um, Obviously, Derrick Rose was great, but even when Rose got hurt, he kept winning yeah. at a high rate. You know, um, you obviously were a fan growing up of basketball. You know, you played, um, and all your you know going through the ranks of uh, uh, covering uh, basketball. How much more about the business of basketball do you understand? Like I mean, like like and you're you're a holder of secrets. You have relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you know and and you know like you you know people. Like how much of of that is like was it like a whole door? Like yo, I didn't know oh, this like was like all this going on. Yeah, yeah. Because as a fan, you the drama, tend to, the pettiness, yeah, the beefs, the not beefs. Who likes who? Who doesn't like who? Who doesn't like you know? Just all the stuff that you know that you're probably desensitized now because you've been doing it yeah. for so long. But like when you were younger, when you were like yo, this. Yo, this is crazy. You yeah. know what I mean? You tend to just, as a fan, think of just the sport and what's you, going on. You see on what the you, court. you know. I think the first thing I have to say, and you, you probably seen this because you've had courtside seats. That's the first difference. Is generally when I would go to a game as a kid or even an adult, I was up high, right? You know, and you're not, you're not down on the court. Then once you start covering a team and the NBA, you're down on the court. When I covered the team as a, teams as a beat writer, Cleveland, New Jersey, and the Knicks, I, we used to sit courtside. Now they put the media up a little bit right. so they can sell those seats. But we would sit courtside. So that's the first thing is just seeing how big, how athletic, how physical the game is. You see the trash talk. Um, you it's just a different game than seeing it on TV or high up in the stands. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing that hit me. Um, but then 
you know, I mean, the business of basketball, obviously, you just got the salary cap. And, you know, because a lot of times fans talk about the game and trades that should be, and they don't, trades wouldn't even work under the salary cap wise and stuff like that. Um, then you, it's just like everything else. Like you got, you're dealing with human beings. So you're dealing with egos. You're dealing with personality, conflicts. Uh, you're dealing with scandals, mm-hmm. players messing around with the same woman, mm-hmm. coaches messing around with women they shouldn't be messing around right, with. Right. And that takes you're a toll. You're getting privy to all this. Yeah. I'm going to give you a story. I'm not going to name the name. Give though. me a story. You can but give I'm me give you the story. without naming names. Yeah. Give me something good. All right. So. Carmelone. <laughs> Kobe Bryant. If I named no, this I name, you would know the I'm guy. Gonna get, but, go. All right. So this player. Now he was drafted big Derek time Fisher. player. No, would, I'm just going. I'm, I'm not going to do would, it. Would have been a lottery pick. Okay. okay? But he was drafted uh before they had the rookie scale. So now when you whatever slot you're in, your your contract is set. Right. Before that though, before the salary or not the salary cap, before the max salaries and the rookie scale, rookies were coming into the league demanding big money or they wouldn't play, right. you know. So this guy was drafted, would have been what's now a lottery pick, and he was haggling. He and the team were haggling over the contract, right? So finally they settle, and they get a deal. It, I don't know if it was right before the season started or beginning of the season, whatever. But So they have this big press conference for the media and everybody, and you, know, you got the president, the GM, the coach, the agent, and the player all on the dais. Everybody's, you know, it's a happy day. Mm-hmm. Everything's great. So the general manager is, you know, talking about the player. Yeah, you know, we're so excited to have him here, and he's going to be this and that and blah, blah, blah. Just praising him, mm-hmm. right? So then he introduces the player. So the GM is at the podium standing. He's in, then he introduces the player. So the GM starts walking to his seat. And the player gets up and he's walking to the podium and they cross paths and, you know, they shake hands and hug, uh-huh. you know. And as they're hugging, the GM whispers in the player's ear who he's been praising, as soon as I get a chance, I'm trading your ass out of here. You you caught that. I know, no, I didn't know. Nobody knows. The player told me years later oh. that the GM said that. And so he was like, man, he was praising me and obviously the you know the media didn't because he said it like slick in a way you couldn't everybody else couldn't see it that's crazy you know? yeah yeah so so um that's just some that's one example i, I got of some it. of the business of basketball that goes on um but it's a lot of stuff um between players and players teammates you know um right between uh you that know, you would front be privy office. to. Yeah, you get some. I mean, obviously, we don't know everything that goes on, but yeah, you hear some of it. And like you said, a lot of it you don't report. There's a lot of stuff you know that you just don't report. Um, one, because it's, you know, it's just. It's too much. Yeah, it's too yeah. much for us to handle. It's like, yeah. we think as fans we want to know, and you're like, you don't want to know. Nah, like, just nah. a little bit that I know, or players have told me stories, or, or guys that don't play anymore told me stories. I'm like, yeah, yo, this is. There was there was one time I was with a few players that don't play anymore, and they were telling me stories. Some and I was like, and they were tripping out off me because they they know I'm a fan, and and they 
the, the person that was telling me the story, it was Rick Fox was telling me a story. And he I've known him for so long. He was like, you're bugging out, right? Like, this is bugging you out, right? Because he knows. And <laughs> yeah, I was like, yo, yeah, this, yeah. You're, this is crazy. Oh, yeah. And this is just a little drop. Now, I've heard of their big trades that were made for personal reasons. Right. Uh, whether the player was in the either organization thought he was in some trouble or he's mixing with the wrong crowd or he's messing with an owner's daughter or whatever Jesus it might be. Christ. And the, the, they trade him out of there. Or I've heard trades of like a player wanting to be traded because his teammate was messing with his woman or, you know, just right. all types of stuff that goes on outside of basketball. Now, today, you know, I mean, some of that stuff happens today, but. Now it's such a big business that I think probably more so than in the past, that stuff, while it happens, it may not get in the way as much Yeah, because winning and making the money is such big business now. Yeah. And the Whereas, players you know, are, so, they're, they're, they're more business savvy because of everything that's come before them, I yeah, think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I feel bad. I mean, we like it as fans. Um, but the fishbowl that these guys live in, just since you've covered the game, the Instagram, you know, what might be a, a Wednesday in Utah, uh, for Russell Westbrook, James Harden, uh, LeBron James, or, or any star, a post game, you know, in the locker room, quick interview could turn into a national school uh, oh, the no next question. day. Well, think about it. Like, and this is one thing I have to credit LeBron James the scrutiny he's under. Oh, it's insane. It, it is nuts. Like, just undisputed, Skip and Shannon. They talk about LeBron every single day, Monday Absolutely. through Friday. So that's the one thing where— Every breath he takes uh, yes, on the podium. Yes. Every, I mean, what he's you playing. mentioned Utah. A Tuesday night in Utah in January is discussed like it's the BCS championship. Yes, so with Michael Jordan, who I do think is the greatest player ever, I think LeBron's second, Jordan didn't have to go through that. No, because we, we didn't have the technology. No, you didn't, have, you didn't have sports debate shows, right? You didn't have 24-7 uh, radio stations. You didn't talk have cameras radio every single place. No, you obviously you didn't have social media and stuff. So we don't really remember Jordan's six for 22 shooting nights or the missed shots at the end of the games that Michael may have had or just the bad performances or whatever. We only remember all the great stuff. And with LeBron, we are seeing and dissecting and analyzing the good and the bad. So it, and the good incredible. and the bad of what he says, Sam, the good yep. and the bad that he makes eye contact with the report. It's it's a lot. You're right. And 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 everybody in this is in the psychoanalysis. Oh, he meant this. He tweeted this. It's a oh, lot. it meant this. And we don't we, a lot of times we don't have any idea. Yeah. Um, but everybody makes their opinions on it. And I, I've thought about that with Kobe. Like Kobe came into the league at 17 and left at what was he, 37, 38, mm -hmm. whatever. Um, he literally grew up in front of everybody. Mm -hmm. And you know, I mean, you were young as an actor, so mm -hmm. you can relate to it somewhat, but I think of the ch changes. People compare people usually say call me the Kobe Bryant of acting, but really? <laughs> <laughs> hey, take it, man. Take it. Just playing. <laughs> Yo, you were dope in higher learning. <laughs> I say that. <laughs> but um think about the changes you went through as a person. From 17 to 37. And and none of it was caught on Instagram. Ah, that's that's the thing. Like, 
And a lot of times people will say, well, so-and-so's changed or he's not what he used to be. Well, of course we've changed. Right. You know, you, you should you want change. him to change. Yes. You I should mean, want him to change, hopefully, for the better. Yes. And yes. grow and, you know, have different opinions and yep. evolved opinions and yep. evolve the way you, you, you think about things. Um, going back to the personalities and the players, I asked you, the, the, the you know, you said Hubie, you said Popovich, uh, you said Van Gundy. Out of the players that you've covered, when you've gotten to talk to them about a game or post game or pre game or you know however you've interacted with them specifically about basketball, who are the ones where you like forget on the court? It could be a Manu Ginobili, like where you, you like just like but like when you're talking to them about basketball, you're like this guy is able to articulate the game in a way that inspired you or like impressed you. Yeah, I mean, I think the obvious one for me was is LeBron. I mean. He knows the game so well and, you know, matchups and, and his memory. I mean, you saw it a little bit the other night yeah. when he recalled, like, the first two minutes of the game yeah. against Boston or whatever. His recall, his um, knowing <clears throat> basically what everybody on the court should be doing, certainly everybody on his team. Yeah. Um, and what everybody on the other team was doing. Just over the years talking to him – about things like that, you, you were certainly surprised impressed. when you saw him recite. The no, book. no, 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 no. I mean, because you, you just in talking to him over the years, I've seen that. Um, so he stands out the most as far as not. Let's see. I'm trying to think of some of the other guys. Um, you know who was a good guy, and you probably saw us living in New York and and just reading the stuff. Latrell Sprewell was oh, always yeah. interesting, L- low key, yeah, especially yeah. when he got to New York because he took he was on great in New York. The, he was the spokesperson, and this was after the PJ Carlissimo, yep, yep, yep. and you'd see him after the games you'd be like. Oh, this isn't the guy, you exactly. know, like they would go because Pat wasn't talking. Yep. You know, yep. Mace would, you know, Mason Oak weren't talking. Yep. Uh, and Latrell was, he was, he was really good. Under, was, underrated and underappreciated, I think. Yeah, he he was great because he, he was intelligent. Yeah. He was well-spoken. Um, it's funny. And look, for the media, he was great. Like after practice, we got him every day and he was great. He'd give you whatever you needed. But away from the facility, which I get, but he was just like, this is my time. Right. So one time I needed him for something. So we were in San Antonio. Actually, I don't even know if I was with the team. I think it was preseason. But I had, for some reason, I had to talk to him. So I called the hotel where the team was at. And, you know, I don't know if I asked for him or what, but I got the the phone rang, you know, in his room. I think it was his hotel room. So he, I think it was him that picked it up because the guy sounded exactly like him. And I'm like, yeah, can I speak with Latrell? This is Chris Broussard. And he, again, he sounded exactly like him. He's like, oh, he, you know, he's not here. This, this is his brother, you know. And I talked to his brother before, and I don't think it was his brother. It was That's Luttrell. funny. But yeah, some, and then other stories, you know, you, you may have heard stories about players um, – Using all types of aliases. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, when they check in the hotel. I've had players tell me that sometimes they'll get into a city uh, for a game, you know, the night before, day before, whatever. And um, they got messages on their machine uh-huh. from girls, women they don't know. Uh-huh. Six messages from women. Hey, uh-huh. I'm so-and-so. You don't know me, but I think you're cute. And one. Right. Let's hook up. You know, like. Right. Just all types of stuff that that these guys deal with. And here's the thing about NBA players, too. They have a ton of free time, man. Right. I mean, because you think about, like, 
You're you're 20, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, whatever, and you have practice for say two hours. That might total three and a half, four hours maybe of your day. And then that's it. Right. So maybe from, you know, you were up at the facility from nine to one or nine to noon. Right. And then you literally have the rest of the day. Right. To just do whatever you got money to burn. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's a lot that you can get into. Yeah. And um, it's a lot of traps out there for these guys, you know? It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, When you would say, uh, you don't use the term as much, when you would say, sources have told me, who the hell were your sources? (laughs) Were you talking about players? Were you talking about GMs? Were you these imaginary friends? Is this cast with? So when you would say sources, because that was something that I always was like, what is he talking about sources? Like, who are his sources? And just the way you you would say it and phrase it. And and you always seemed like you were having so much fun uh, doing it. So so when you were saying so, who the hell are the sources? Sources, I'm t- it could be anybody, okay? It well, not I don't want to say anybody, but sources could be there's times I had an owner of a team be a source. And you know, the general rule in journalism has always been, you know, get two, at least two sources, you know, uh-huh. before you go with something. But there were times when I had it from the owner that a trade was going down or whatever, and I would just go with it because I knew it was the owner. You know what I mean? And we had a good enough relationship where right. I knew he wasn't BSing me. There you ain't know? no other source you No, need. exactly. So it could be an owner. It could be an executive, okay. you know, president, GM. Um, a coach? Could be a coach. Could be a player. Or any of the, but here's the thing about players. Now, players will know about things like the locker room climate, uh-huh. how the players feel about the coach, uh-huh. or how two players feel about each other, or a fight in the locker room or uh-huh. in practice. They'll know stuff like that. Players generally don't know trade stuff. They're coming to you a lot of times. They like, want the hey, so They want you to give you your yeah, their sources. Yeah, what you heard, what you hear, stuff. So they don't know about any of that. Okay, so that's what I'm saying. It could be. Different people for different stuff. Other times, good sources have been friends of players. Ah. Because a lot of times, like a coach might, if let's say there was a fight or brouhaha in practice, a coach going to tell the players, look, don't say anything to the press. Mm-hmm. Because before I started covering the NBA, and I started covering in 95, so bef- up till maybe, I don't know when they changed, maybe 93-ish, somewhere around there. But the practices used to be open to the media. Uh, so you could go and watch the entire practice. As would you media. do it? I would have. Now, when I got into the league, 95, that was over. Oh, they shut it down. They shut okay, it down. Okay. You might, you used to get like maybe, you might get 10 minutes at the end of practice and by then they're shooting free throws. Right. So you really, and then you get the coach and then you end up. I got you. So you're not, we generally, my, my whole time covering the league, we rarely you know ever got to see any real practice footage you know or stuff going on so and I was talking to Mike Fratello who was the first coach I covered when he he was coaching the Cavaliers Uh and I we were talking about why why that is you know he's a great person to talk yeah oh Fratello was ridiculous right and he was a great coach too I loved him in Atlanta he was nuts when I was a kid (laughs) he had the little fro too yeah yeah he was another one who got used to get straight you're like yo Chill, man. Oh, yeah. You're, like, you're oh, nuts. He would, he would get Mike would get hyped on the sidelines, you know, and and in practice and everything. But 
he um he was saying that look he said if i let you into practice he was like i, I wouldn't generally mind i mean it's fine but he's like if, if you're in practice and two of my team two of my players get in a fight and you're watching are you gonna report it i'm like yeah i got you know i i gotta report it i mean that's a big story you know He's like, that's why we don't let you in practice. Because he's like, nine times out of ten, it's not that big of a deal. He says it happens, whether it's a full-out fight or, you know, guys <laughs> okay. yelling at each other right. and then they, they get up in each other's face or they're, people hold them back. Um, and he says a lot of times, most times, it's nothing. Mm-hmm. And they'll make up that evening in the locker room, wherever, and it just it's not even a big deal. Mm-hmm. But once you write it, the headline is, you know, Johnson and Brown got into it in practice. He said, now it becomes a big, huge distraction mm-hmm. to my team. Now it becomes a story. Mm-hmm. where And I and I could relate because when I, I played ball in college, I almost got in a fight with a guy. We had teammates almost getting fights. And later, like me and this dude squared up. We're talking trash and we're about to fight. And later that night, we were in the bar having a drink together, right. chilling. It'll like it's totally exactly. It's totally. But when you no get a big story, deal. it's flaming. Yeah, and and then you know you ask now now so let's say that headlines out there. So now after practice, we're asking each player. So oh, so what happened? And we asking other players, and they got to talk about it. And generally, especially in New York. They're not going to believe you when the players say, oh, it's no big deal. It's mm-hmm. the, now there's going to be – it's going to be written and talked about there's bad blood right. between these two guys. And, it, again, it might not be anything, but going forward, if there's any anything that might be related, one of the players has a bad game mm-hmm. or one of the players, they yell – like you see it a lot now when a player and a coach or two players are yelling at each other on the bench. Mm-hmm. You that happens sometimes right. in sports. Right. It but, happens in the workplace. Yes, yes, but we blow it out of proportion. Now sometimes it really is something. Right. But most times And you're watching it's it not. over and over on every yeah, page yeah. And, and this you're one. talking about it on every TV show. Right. So it becomes a big deal, but um so the coach may say, "Don't say anything to the media." Right. Or the players even just on their own, "No, look, don't say nothing. We ain't going to say nothing." But they may not come out and tell the media. But guess who they going to tell? They boys. I got you. So on the way home, you know, yo, man, you won't believe it. So-and-so, they got into it today. It was, I got you. And so you, if you cool with some of the boys, that's when you can get a lot of stuff, Those too. are good sources. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you wouldn't go to one of the boys for a trade story. I got you. You wouldn't go to a player for a trade story, but you go to them for certain, you know, other things. So, like, when I was reporting... Nobody knows who this was, but when I was reporting on LeBron going to Miami, like I broke Wade and Bosch going to Miami, and I broke uh, you know, LeBron going to Miami. You were the first one in. I don't know. I mean, it was so they were so different then because Twitter, I didn't feel back then that you broke stories on Twitter. Right. This was 2010. Right. Because my feeling was a break to break a story, you you had the details, you had why, you had what, you know what I mean? Whereas now it's just the the headline basically on Twitter. So I know Alan Hahn from, you know, uh uh he was at Newsday, I think, at that time. Yeah, yeah. He had something about it. I I had stuff about it. Stephen A. Smith has stuff about it. So we all had, you know, him going to Miami and stuff like that. Um, 
But I got most of that, like that stuff was from, you know, a friend, um, you know, of of some of the players. I got you. Who knew what was going down. I got you. Um, and so, you know, you just got to, you know, a source could be, anyway, you got to make sure they know what they're talking about and they're close enough to know it. It's got to be a trustworthy yeah. source. Yeah, and I'll tell you what's interesting, because where, where you mentioned sources say I kind of became famous for that. I think the biggest time I became famous for that was when it was the show literally where LeBron went to Miami. And I was on with Mike Wilbon. I I think you were on the Hannah pre-show Storm. with Bo- Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember who else. Hannah Storm, maybe. Uh I, I don't know if John Barry was on it. But anyway, on that show, I said, because I had been talking the last couple of days about he's going to Miami. And so they they were finally like, you know, well, so Chris, what is it? And I said, uh, my heart, you know, because I'm from Cleveland. I was like, my heart is saying Cleveland, but my sources say Miami. <laughs> and that's when it really took off. Interesting story. That's crazy. I remember that. Yeah, that was when it really became, okay, so it's interesting story. I'm, I would say less than 10 minutes before I go on that show. And again, I've been reporting Miami, Miami. A coach calls me from another team, and he says, hey, man, I just heard something like the Miami Herald or one of the Miami papers had a big, you know, they had the LeBrons going to Miami headline on their paper ready to go, and they just recalled it. Mm. And he's like, yo, you better check it out, man. I don't know. I I think you might be wrong. Like, this is literally right before I'm going on Mm. the air. But I was was secure in the sources that, okay, it's, uh, you know, I I felt good about it. I had a good source on that, too. That he's going to Miami? Yep. Yep. So and, it, and, and and it was an unproven source at the time, but like I was like, yeah, right. But where it came from and the source, I was like, and it was it was the source was right. Yeah. When, yeah. when you look back on that moment, and I don't want to go too much down the LeBron, you know, rabbit hole. How how big of a shift in the NBA and the way players um, post the big three in Miami and, and all the guys that have come after him and all the, 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 the big threes that have worked and yeah. that haven't worked. Like when, when you said that, like it almost gave me goosebumps. Cause I remembered you saying that about my heart, Cleveland, yeah. my sources, you know, and then obviously all the, the good, the bad and the, the, the ugly and the, and the, the, the critics of, of, of him going to Miami and then going to back to Cleveland. How big of a big bang shift moment in the culture and and the way teams are thought about oh, is that like when LeBron finally leaves, he's such a force. He's such a, a, a incredible player, and you know he's had a couple of incarnations of of his big threes. Like like there, there's going to be a documentary man. on that. Yeah, it, it changed him going to Miami. Changed everything, and I'm not. We're not even talking about the championships and all that. If he doesn't go to Miami, I'm willing to say we'll never know for sure. But I'm saying I'll say this: Durant's not in Golden State. I agree. LeBron, what's Draymond was absolutely right. Remember when he said when LeBron was supposedly complaining about the Golden State Super Team, and and uh, Draymond after their championship was like, "Yo, you started it, bro." Right. Why? He's exactly right. Like I don't think Durant feels like he could go to Golden State unless LeBron had done it before. I totally he, you know? agree. 
So that changed everything in there. Look, a lot of guys it hadn't worked out for. So if LeBron doesn't do that, I don't know. Remember, Melo forced his way out of Denver yep. to New York. Yep. I don't know that that happens. And in the end, we have to say that didn't work out for Melo. Mm-hmm. Now, it, incru- it increased his celebrity. You know, he was already a superstar, but it increased it more so probably off the court. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But as a, from a basketball standpoint, it didn't work. No. Uh, Chris Paul forced his way out of New Orleans. Yeah. Um, that, you know, it didn't hurt him basketball wise, but they didn't obviously didn't go anywhere with the Clippers. They Mm -hmm. didn't go past the second round. Um, Dwight Howard, that's the worst one. Yes. That Dwight Howard uh, ruined, ruined his career by by leaving Orlando. I agree. If he had just stayed in Orlando, he'd probably have a statue there one day. Um, that was a good team. Mm-hmm. I mean, they had made the finals, mm-hmm. but it was that grass is always greener. So a lot of guys just, you know, everybody just started getting more ideas about moving on and the grass is greener and, you know, but heck, Darren Williams. Yep. In Utah, he was on a Hall of Fame trajectory. Yep. And I granted he had injuries in, in New Jersey and all that Brooklyn so maybe he would have started getting hurt in Utah. Who knows? But he kind of forced that move that, right. you know, I'm not going to resign, so you probably need to trade me or whatever. Right. And so um, a lot of guys – look, there are certain players, LeBron, KD, who are so great, they're going to be great anywhere, you know. But then there are a lot of players who are legitimately great but they're also in a great system for them. They're in the right place for them. And they're not and they aware recognize, of it. No, nah, they don't recognize it. All right. We're at, we're, we're at the recording of this podcast. The Celtics are up two games versus the Cavaliers. Houston is uh, tied with Golden State 1-1. Cleveland versus Boston. Chris Broussard What's going to happen in the rest of that series? <laughs> well, what is your prediction? What is your take on it? And and how surprised are you that Cleveland is down 2-0? My pick was Cleveland in six, maybe five going in. All right, so obviously five is out the window. Um, generally, I like to just stick with my picks, you know, but... You can't, you can't stick with that now. He ain't rattling I mean, off four straight. It, it, Cleveland, first of all, I got nothing but respect for Boston. And Brad Stevens is incredible. Um, and they, they're literally defying conventional wisdom. Typically, for a t- typically, not every single time, but for a team to get this far, conference finals, and be up 2-0, you usually are have a superstar. Just look at the other three teams. Right. Harden and Chris Paul in Houston. Obviously, Golden State's got four stars. And then Cleveland's got LeBron. You generally don't get in this position without a superstar. So they have no superstar. That's number one. Their two best players got hurt. That's number two. They Their leading scorers in the playoffs are 20-year-old Jason Tatum, who's the youngest player ever to lead a team in scoring in the playoffs and get to the conference That's finals. crazy. Youngest ever. 20. 20. Your second leading scorer is 21, Jalen Brown. That's unprecedented. So – those are the reasons that Brad Stevens is getting all of this credit because we've never seen this done before. Mm-hmm. But the players, look, past once you get past LeBron, 
Boston has more talent. Mm-hmm. They got three number three picks, Al Horford, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. Terry Rozier was a 16 pick. Uh, Marcus Morris was a 14 pick, which is lottery. So they've got Marcus, Marcus Smart right. was a lottery pick. They have more talent than Cleveland. They're younger. They're hungrier. I compared them the other day to Rocky. Mm-hmm. And I know they're more talented, relatively speaking, than Rocky was. But that, you know... Cleveland, LeBron's like Apollo, mm-hmm. knocking them, demolishing mm-hmm. them, punching them all night, jabbing, you know, hooking, beating them down, and they just keep coming. Mm-hmm. You know, they keep coming. And I think not so much LeBron maybe, but the team as a whole, Cleveland don't – at this point, I got, they don't look like they got the heart for a real fight. They they looked, you know, right? I, I compared it to – LeBron the other day looked like a great, talented fighter who had gotten hurt. It, it, I mean, they, because what they want to do is, like I said, Apollo, like hit you early, hurt you early, and make you quit, and then they can coast. Like Indiana, whenever they would get out to a significant lead, they would start coasting. Next thing you know, they're in a nail biter and they win by two or whatever. They don't want, now Toronto just played into their hands because they submitted. Uh-huh. Once they hit them, it, Toronto reminded me of, Tyson's last maybe five or six fights before Buster Douglas. Right. Frank Bruno, Carl the Truth Williams, where they were so scared. Right. Going in, Michael Spinks. Right. That as soon as he hit them, I ain't saying it didn't hurt, but as soon as he hit them a few times, they would go. Right. Because they just didn't want to, they were so terrified and they didn't want to fight. Right. And Boston wants to fight. Right. They're they're like Evander right. or Buster Douglas to right. tight. Like we're not going anywhere. Right. And I don't know that Cleveland really wants to sustain that to have that type of fight where we got to fight for 48 minutes. Right. And I'm going to say this, I, I would love to see LeBron in the finals cuz he's LeBron, he's the greatest player in the world and all that. But I got to admit there's a big part of me that wants to see Boston. Because I think Boston they won't. I don't think they'll win. They'll be the heavy underdog, but they would make it a better series. I agree because they would fight. Now I think they might lose to Golden State in four, maybe five, but they would be four or five hard fought games. It wouldn't be easy for Golden State and the style if, of basketball because it would be like they both play like a really nice looking style yes, of basketball. Yes, and they got players who are versatile, can shoot the three, can take you off There's the a dribble, similarity. more athleticism. Yep, great coaching. So. Um, we'll see what happens, but I think, you know, everybody's talking about where LeBron goes. L.A. You think? I just think, like, you know, I don't think he's going to Philadelphia. I don't think, like, it's in the plan, like, I'm going to end my career in Philly. And I love the city of Philadelphia. I love Rocky. I love, (laughs) you know, I love the roots. I love, you know, the sound of all of it. The sound sound, sound of Philadelphia. I love all of it. I I love (laughs) Philadelphia. All of it. I think you're forgetting, and look, I, the Sixers are no comparison to the Lakers. But Philadelphia, for a team that only has, what, two titles, I believe, 67 with Wilt and 83 with Dr. J and Moses, um, they have a rich basketball history. Yes. Because they had Wilt, they had Dr. J, they had Moses Malone, AI, you know. So that's not like going to... Charlotte. Or, no, but I'm saying you know, just for him, like everybody's like LA, LA he wants to be in film business. I just think he was like, oh, that sort of just popped up. I mean, what do you I think? think I what think, do you know? You got the sources. Well, 
I, I was having a conversation with somebody that would know oh, two weeks ago. And I was saying, we were talking about different possibilities. And I was saying, um, if I, because I, I, I was really not into him going to Philly. Because I was like, man, I don't want the ball being taken out of Ben Simmons' hands. Right. Because first of all, Ben can't shoot. And secondly, you know, he's a great point guard. I think he's, you know, uh, runs the, is a great point guard. That's where she's a true point guard. Yes, yes, yes. And I was like, if LeBron goes there, he's going to take the ball. And it's just, like you said, it's going to disrupt his growth. And I said that to this person. I said, I don't want LeBron taking the ball out of Ben Simmons' hands. And this person said, well, LeBron actually wants to play off the ball. I was like, he ain't never played off the ball in his life, including high school Mm. and probably AAU and all that. And they said, well, that's because he's never had a teammate that makes plays for other people. Now, Kyrie and Wade, they brought up, they they were playmakers more so for themselves, Mm -hmm. you know, occasionally for somebody else, but mainly for themselves. Mm -hmm. Great individual scorers and playmakers for themselves. But they said if he had a teammate who would, you know, was great at playmaking for others, LeBron would gladly play off the ball. Mm. And I said, I still have my doubts, but I said, if that's true, if he wants to play off the ball and will play off the ball, to me it's a no-brainer. That he's going to go to Philly. Well, that he should go to Philly. I don't know what he will do, but he should go to Philly. Here's my thing with the Lakers. And obviously, if he goes there with Paul George, they would be great. But... It's hard to say they'd be the favorite in the West. Right. And they'd be really good. They'd though. be really good. My feeling is if he goes to the Lakers, obviously he still wants to win wherever he goes. But winning is not the ultimate priority. Like that wasn't the main motivation for his decision. It's just he wants to be in LA. Like right. you said, maybe businesses, although obviously he's a mogul already. Right. But maybe it's he just wants to live in LA or he wants, thinks he can do more business out here, life after basketball, whatever it might be. If he stays in Cleveland, obviously winning is not the ultimate. I oh, he's not think, staying in Cleveland. I almost think if he, even if he wanted to stay in Cleveland, if winning is number one, he has to leave. He's not staying in Cleveland. No, because they don't have, yeah, they're not going to. So I think, look, here's, this is what I say about Philly, man. Look, if he goes to Philly, he could lead I think they have the formula to win championships because the thing that gives Golden State trouble is size and they would have size that's versatile. They got some shooters. They, they couldn't mess with Embiid. You know, you go with that little Hamptons five against Embiid and see what happens, you know? So I think, and you'd have LeBron. I think they'd have the formula to be the Golden State. So let's say LeBron in the next three years that he has as a top five player in the league, could lead them to a championship or two, still is the best player. Then as he begins to age and Embiid and Simmons mature, he might be, they might be able to lead him to another title or two or who knows. So let's say, because I've said this, and again, I think Jordan's the GOAT. But if in that scenario, in 10 to 15 years, or any scenario where LeBron wins a few more rings, he will be recognized as the GOAT. And this is why I say it. Because, I agree. I right, mean, I can't. Not, I, I, I mean, unless he has to win a lot more for me to recognize him as that above Jordan. 
But we won't win our generation. Yeah, a few more at least. Like, I mean, if he could somehow win it this year, that'd be huge. He ain't winning it this nah, year. Exactly. There that, ain't no way That's now. asking the impossible. <laughs> I mean, I was last week I was more like I wouldn't have said that. But now, yeah, yeah. It's, it's he can only, he's a human being, man. He can only do right. so much. Even if they get there, they're going to get demolished. And he was sick in those first two series. Yes. Sick. Yes, yes. So, but here's the thing. in Because you know this. Our generation, we look at Jordan as the GOAT. Right. The generation before is like, I've talked to Oscar Robertson. Even Jordan's generation, Clyde Drexler, guys like that. They don't see him as the GOAT. Now, they don't diss him. They respect, yo, he was incredible. I don't know if anybody's better, but they're not necessarily putting him ahead of Kareem or Oscar right. or Wilt or, right. you know, whoever from there. So it's our generation that undisputedly recognizes him as the GOAT. Mm. We won't be driving the conversation in 15 years. Right. It'll be these millennials, yeah. a lot of whom already think LeBron is Yeah, better. it's because of also like in Jordan's generation, they're looking at almost like through the youth. It's like, mm. you know, like when you hear like, you know, music, it's like, it, it's not just, it's not just the songs. It's like when you were hearing it, you were with this girl yes. and it's like, yes. you heard it on a record. So it's, so it, it, there's a sentimentality. Yeah, yeah you're right. It's, it's like him. Like you, nobody from our generation is generally going to say, Kendrick Lamar is better than, you know, right. Rakim right. Or, or whoever, just because right. that was our generation. So if think about it, in 15 years or 10 years, if if that scenario with Philly works out, let's say, so let's say I'll, I'll be even, I won't even go overboard. Let's say LeBron's got five rings, okay, two with Philly, whatever. So the millennials will look at it and say, okay, he's got five rings, one less than Jordan. But he was in twice as many finals as Michael Jordan. He's got all of the, or almost all of the individual regular season records, almost all the individual postseason records. It'd be hard to argue, man. Yeah, what they're like, they would be like, what is? It's hard to argue now because he's the, the 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 records and the numbers and the the length of the career and it, it, I mean, you know, it, it's such a tough argument because of it's a team sport. It, it, he's yeah, closed. Yeah. If 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 he ain't better, he's in the conversation. Oh, he's definitely in the conversation. Like the one thing, I, oh, there's a couple things you can say for Jordan, but one that I say is. You know, because we can debate which era is better or the different styles of play, and that's that's tough. But Jordan, once he started winning, once he started winning, not early in his career, once he started winning, nobody else ate. No. He kept Hall of Famers, Barkley, Ewing, Elijah Wan, Shaq. Um, Clyde. Clyde. Like, he kept all these guys from eating. They Nobody, yeah. he had it on lock. The same way LeBron is locked down the East, Jordan locked down the whole league. Yeah, no, he shut it now, down. Now, cats are eating in LeBron's heyday. Right. Dunk and old Duncan ate, right? Right. Dirk ate. Right. Steph and uh, KD are eating. And D-Wade Steph ate. even before KD got there, Wade ate. Like, Paul Pierce and them ate. Yeah, LeBron is not just not letting people eat like, I, like I, Jordan did. And, and you know, one thing I will say... For all these dudes, not that they wouldn't have adjusted, but this this lollygagging to the rim with James Harden, uh, you know, and even LeBron, it would be different for him because he's a, a physical dude. Yeah. But this lack of hand checking, you know, you look at these dudes, they got these ultra sick cross, cross, yeah. hesitation, yeah. blah, 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 blah. The reason why dudes are going skates. The, the thing about skates, you're slipping and sliding, you got nothing to hold on to. Yeah. If you could hand check, <laughs> 
You're leaning forward on the defense, and you're leaning forward, yep. so you could you you don't have that space to do it. Yep. And if you catch me, I'm gonna lean forward as opposed to you have no skates. That's why people are falling. Yeah, no, do you know you, what I'm saying? You, you I don't give a right. crap. It's not that these guys wouldn't compete, and Russell Westbrook would be sick, and James Harden's skill set, yep. and all of them, and I love them. But that rule of not being able to. Oh yeah. You wouldn't. The guys didn't. Well, guys since, weren't falling with Isaiah Thomas nah, from the as Pistons. As great as his handle was, guy, yeah. guy, guys weren't falling with all those like Tim Hardaway. Yep. I mean, yep. you'd see highlights and stuff like that in AI, but like that started. That, you know, yep. it just right. like now everybody's making dudes fall because you can't touch them. Yeah. LeBron no, goes no right question. to the basket, and you can't veer him out of the way yep. because you literally can't touch the dude. Well, to your point, even once you beat your man, because the floor is so spread out. Once you beat your guy, you might have one guy left at there the rim. There ain't no Oakley in no, there. No, 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 There's no. And Mason. that's the thing. That's so. So guys from Jordan's generation are like, can you imagine what Jordan would do under no hand checking? None. How much he get to the rim, or with the floor this spread out, how much he get to the rim? Like, so like when Jordan got to the rim, you had three. For dudes meeting him there, and, that's and you had to thing. finish, and like LeBron never had that that nah. grounded pound of Detroit, nah. that that you know, like, and and that's not his fault. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when you look at the generations, the eras, you say LeBron would have adapted of to the more physical have. play. The, all yeah. these guys, so would've. he would have been finishing with the contact. Yes, but same way. Jordan would have, and Isaiah and all these guys, they would have developed better three-point shots. Right. You just would have had to. And, and he so may not made it 15 it years without injury. You no, know, like yeah, it, yeah, that yeah, grounded power. Because right. it's, it's, a, it's a freak of nature that it's he's done it. unbelievable, man. Um, all right. I don't want to go too deep because we've already, you've given me so much gold. Golden State, just give me your prediction. It's 1-1. It's so funny, man. Even watching you, like the, 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 the narrative changes. All of a sudden, Steph is hurt. The first game, he had 18, I think, or he had 20. 18 and 8, I think. 18, 8, and 6. Yeah. And now all of a, he has a bad game. He's shot bad. And all of a sudden, he's hurt. Da-da-da-da-da. <laughs> it went from they might sweep him to beat him in five games. Exactly. To, so he's go, not the know, same. Houston played good. And and Steph and Golden State didn't play great. They're at home. It's one one. Yeah. They are, they're a very talented team. What's going to happen in the rest of that series? Based on what we know at the recording of this, I am Rapport Stereo podcast. I'm still going to have to stick with Golden. Me State. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I'm look. I'm glad Houston won because it maybe it'll make it interesting. But if you really look at it, Golden State is in complete control. I agree. They're going home. If Houston had won the first game, and Golden State had won the second. People would be saying, oh, it's over in five or six. Because they like in oh, they, the playoffs. They figured them out. Yeah, in the playoffs, what happens is we tend to, whoever won the last game, we tend to think is in control of the series. Unless it's a 3-0 series or something, you know, 3-1, whatever. Um, so we overreact to each game. You know, um, I'll say this a couple things about Steph. When Durant first went to, to Golden State, and that first year they had together, which obviously they won the championship, played great. Which was just last year. Just last year. I mean, you know? he, he, when he left yep. And, yep. And, and, and all the scrutiny Doesn't of that. Doesn't like ancient history now, It seems right? like, was that three years ago? Yeah, like exactly. Durant, this is like his second playoffs with yeah, you know, all the cupcake. Right. It seems yep. like it was so long ago. It, it really does. It really does. But I was looking at it last year like there was a part of me that was like, man, he, he took away – Cause Steph just there's not the need for remember 
The two years Steph won the MVP, it seemed like every other game it was some freaking ridiculous stuff he was doing. A buzzer beater from 35 feet, a shot from 40 feet, 45 point. You know, just it was like ridiculous stuff every other night. And we didn't get to see that as much with Durant there. And I felt like, man, because remember, now Tim Legler, I think, is one of the best NBA analysts in, in the world, right? But Tim says something that this was when I don't remember if it was his first championship or in the 73 win run or whatever but Legler was like I think he could end up he could be a top 3 player of all time. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was an overstatement but that's the type of stuff people were saying. I, I mean you had to It was think, so trippy watching him. If he had had a 6 or 7 year run like his two MVP years He'd be top 10 easy. Yeah. And maybe you are talking top three, something like that. And I said, you know what? He's never going to have that because Durant is there now. And so he'll and also win his champions. size. You well, know, that, he's never that, dominating a game like LeBron. or And, and see, that's mm-hmm. what I had to realize. Michael 6'6". Yeah, he can't. I don't think physically Steph could have held up long enough. He's already having trouble staying Healthy now. And he's not a triple double machine. He's just no. He just a and, and so that I actually think Golden State, believe it or not, did need Durant because Steph would not have been able to sustain it physically. That's a good point to stay healthy enough. And so, um, but I the one thing that's bothering me about Golden State in these first two games is I think they've been too KD centric. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not – last night, it wasn't that free-flowing mm-hmm. ball movement, player movement offense. It was Durant bringing it up, Durant going ISO, him creating everything. And they can still win that way because mm-hmm. they got so much talent, but they're not special. Mm-hmm. That way. They can also lose that way. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they're playing their game where it's free-flowing and Steph's in the flow, Clay's in the flow, mm-hmm. Durant's in the flow – that's when they're unbeatable. Is that Houston's defense? I'm sorry. Is that, I mean, it was like, is You're that right. Houston? <laughs> like, is that, is that the, the brilliance of Houston's defense? Or is it just, you think it's just like kind of a, a, a bad habit for the first two games? Well, I think that Golden State played that way when Steph was hurt. Okay. Because they did. They played it through KD. Because they had to because it was a different personnel. And I think what happens is when Clay or Steph, or maybe just Steph, but when one of them or both of them don't have it going, right? when either Steph or both of them don't have it going, I think it has become a crutch. Well, KD, let's go to him. You know, they don't have it going, let's go to KD because he's, you know, he is what he is. He's and, awesome. And he's, like, all the guys we've mentioned, like, his game is so, like, he's never going to be the highlight of the night. You know, you could show accumulate. He's yeah. so understated in a way. Yes. Yeah. You know, there's no dunking. There's yeah. not crossovers. Yeah. It's just nasty. It's just that mid-range, old school. I mean, it's, it's in boom, some boom. ways. Remember Bernard King? Yeah. The mid-range, the old jump. Like, some, somewhat. I mean, obviously, there's differences. His handle's better, Durant. You know, he's better. There's no question than Bernard King. But... That that mid range jumper, it's, he kills you with it. It's unguardable, and you're but, not going to show it. The, it's not going to be the highlight no, of the no. night. I think they're better when they don't feature Durant, but they include Durant. I, I know exactly what you, you know. Mean the, these if first any, two games. if any one player should be featured, it, it should be Steph. Not, I agree. Not because he's better. Durant's the better player, 
but just because his style gets everybody gets going when Steph, you know, is featured. I agree. So that's where this is interesting. I look, I would love to see Houston win one in Golden State, and then we really got a series. Listen, I don't know how much I could take. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'm gonna. Do, we, I wanted to talk more hip hop, but we got so deep into dope basketball. I'm gonna throw a couple of hip hop questions, and then I'm gonna let you go. I'm gonna do it backwards. It's not your bet. It's not the best because again, it's like how do you say who's the best? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, groups. Chris Broussard's top five groups in no particular order. Okay, groups. no particular order. And so, so you 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 have the groups fresh in your head. You have groups because I'll throw. I can, yeah. Okay. I have to, and this is you know this is old school. Yeah, listen. But it, when you look, because one thing I it, it, we can talk about this. When I've looked at, like you said, it's hard to say who in the, who is the freaking best rappers of all time, it's, right? It's so preferential. Yeah, yeah. You almost have to say who had an era. Right. Who had an era? Like, who dominated an era? That's kind of how I... So you got Melly Mel, then LL, like as an individual. Then, I mean, Rakim, I don't know if he... You got to... I don't know if he had a full era... But just the wordplay, the way he changed he, the game. Yeah, he had. He's in there. Big Daddy Kane was. See, they. I don't think Kane and Rakim. When I say they had their era, but they weren't the undisputed rulers. No. of an era because there were so many. Yeah, good dudes. you had Karras One. You had Public Enemy with Chuck D. And but, LL, like we forget because he's on CSI and he's been so yeah. long. Homeboy, you don't want it with him now. I don't oh. care who you are. He was, and you yeah. look at the body of work and the songs and the kind of songs and the battle rap, and yeah. when when that first image of him with the cane going the shirt, homeboy was fifteen. That's like incredible. he's a child star. Yeah, yeah, that's incredible. That's you're right. That's another guy growing up in front of the. He's been famous more years than yeah. he has been famous. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. It's, it's and he was a incredible. star. He was he was the first. Right, with first mega rapper, I get. I, I yeah, mean, he was like a sex symbol. He yeah. was the first. I think, like, I mean, he was the first like star like that. Yeah. I think. I mean, unless I'm forgetting somebody, where it was like, what is like cross cultural? Nah, yeah, uh, the first group. I, and this is not in order, but I gotta say, Run DMC, yep. because they they changed the game before them. Like to me, I look at Run DMC as the first rap group where it was just. First of all, they were so hard, right? Their style with the the heavy metal beat samples and the the minimalist beat, you know, and like sucker MCs, it's just a minimalist beat, but that was hip hop. But they brought they were the first to bring that. And they dressed just regular. We got on some sweats, right? And a leather jacket or a kango. Like they dressed on their album covers and concerts like they normally dress. So right. they made it real. Before that, I was in the Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five and all that, but they wore costumes. And they were on that Commodore's funk yeah, like, yeah, parliament. Yeah. You know, they exactly. were like, because that's what was, it was from the disco It was the disco, era. exactly. And like, I saw Grandmaster Flash in concert, met them. They were in costumes. Back then you saw them? Yeah, I, I met, funny story. That's crazy. I got a crazy story for you, right? So I moved around a lot as a kid. So mostly in the Midwest. Believe it or not, I spent two and a half years living in Des Moines, Iowa. Oh. Okay, <laughs> so Man. my right, right, freshman through halfway through my junior Detroit. year. I was like, all right, yeah, Des Moines, Iowa, right. right? Okay, so Grandmaster, we had moved there from Syracuse, New York. So I was all in the hip hop, and back then 
hip hop was regional to some right. degree. So in Syracuse, I was getting a lot of hip hop that people in the Midwest and the South weren't getting. I love Bug Starsky and all that stuff. You know, I was hearing all the pretty much all the hip hop you got in Syracuse. So we moved to Des Moines and Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five are coming to Des Moines to do a concert. So I'm a, right. <laughs> I'm a ninth grader. My brother's eighth grade. We love hip hop. So my mother's like, yeah, y'all can. So she's going to take us. Right. So she takes us to the concert and it's Des Moines, Iowa. So it was in a hotel ballroom. We're literally wow. it was Midnight Star opened up for him. Remember right, Midnight of Star? Course. We're literally 20 feet from Midnight Star. I mean, it was maybe 400, 500 people in the ballroom. We're 400 feet from Midnight uh -huh. Star. So they perform. Then, you know, Grandmaster Flash is everybody's waiting for them to come on. And they don't. We're waiting, and it's 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 40 minutes. Like, what's going on? People starting to get upset. So my mother, who's four foot eight inches tall, all right? My mother and her friend came, and me and my brother and one of his friends. My mother goes, she says, hold on, y'all stay here. I'm going to go see something. We like, where are you going? So she just disappears. Ten minutes, five, ten minutes later, she comes back, and she's like, come with me, follow me. So... So we go, we following her. Everybody's pissed in the ballroom. Everybody's like, what the, you know, they, they don't see us. So we follow her. She goes to this door, knocks on the door, and they open, Melly Mel opens up. You remember that? Yes. Oh, yeah. Melly Mel opens up and we got like a leather like, pants and he's shirtless. He, yeah, he got leather hat on like chain you know it looked like some s&m crazy yeah, yes yes exactly right <laughs> now you would be like yo what's up yeah what, what this is crazy so they let us in he's like all right come on this is them so one of my my brother's friend with us was white okay so they look at him and they like he's good he's part of the family too and my mother's like yeah yeah so he, she's like all right so we all go in we met cowboy melly mel raheem kid Creel, yo, all of them and it was just my mother had gone back there and told them, look, my sons love you guys. I know because they didn't go. They didn't perform because the people wasn't going to pay them. So they were like, so my mother was like, I understand y'all ain't getting paid. I get it. But will you mind if they come back and meet you? So we met all of them. And that's then we crazy. Left. And they never and performed. They never performed. We left after we met them. A riot ensued. Cowboy got stabbed in the arm. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. So rest in peace, cowboy. Right, right. So um, that's a dope story. Yeah, it was man in Des Moines. Talk Iowa, about an Instagram places. moment. <laughs> yes, yes. That was. I got to get my mind. She was an OG. I was she like, went back there like where at least me. Yeah, like that's crazy. And you remember the image of Melly Mel opening oh, the door? Yeah, the whole. I remember that's dope. And he was all cock diesel. Yep, yep, he was cock diesel too. That's was, that's a good story. Yeah, it was great. So. All right, Run DMC. Run DMC. I got to put Public Enemy in there. Yep. Um, you know, you, have you had a Chuck on your podcast? No, but I, I need to because I've talked to him. We've texted about doing it. Did you have him? On? Yeah, yeah, I, I had, know he is. Like, yeah. he's, like, you could have a podcast with him and not talk hip-hop. Like, Homeboy is, like, deep in his yeah, basketball. I'm going to try to get him more because that's, that's a good idea. I'll definitely hit him more. Um, so, Run DMC, Public Enemy. Um... I love EPMD. They, They're probably not top five all time general. They but were rocking and rolling yeah, for a yeah. long, and and they have hits. Yep, yep. So I, I'll, I'll throw. Let me put them on the side, man. You got to throw in Wu Tang. Yep. 
Um, I think just because I would say NWA, but they because the way they changed the game, but they broke up so quick. And Ice Cube did his best stuff without them. I you agree. Know? So I don't know if I'll put. You almost got to though. Right, because the way they changed, they would, I wouldn't put them as my favorite. They're group. not. No, they're not. I would, because I, I gotta be honest. I really wasn't, and not that into gangster rap. And I'll be straight up. I mean, I've talked about this. I know everything about NWA. Yeah. But when I first heard, I was like, Yo, what is this? What is this, man? Yeah. yeah. First of all, like I was, I think it was. I remember what year it was, but I was like, I was like. I mean, I was filthy, but I was like, yeah, what are these dudes talking about, <laughs> right. man? Well, and the style of rap was so weird. Advanced. Yes. The I'm beats like, weren't, the beats were, like, that first beats that they had. It was very basic. Yeah, yeah, they were real basic. You write the, and I remember, because you write, like, they were talking about smoking cats and killing, you know. I remember being with now my wife, my girlfriend at the time, and I remember playing NWA stuff for her in awe, because I was like, can you believe what these yeah, dudes are talking about? Yeah, I was bugging out off it. You wasn't hearing people. Like, you but had they also were rocking, though. Like, to me, like, the it, beat. Yeah. And it's not this East Coast, West Coast. You're just used to a certain, like, it was just it was just different. It was different. Nah, you're, and I wasn't. I, look, I, I was like, it's it's unusual. They talking about killing people like that. It's, it's it was not wild. bad. But, yeah, I wasn't really into NWA. So, I'm just thinking it, you have to give them an error, I guess. But I, I won't put them in it. You gotta who I say Wu Tang Run DMC Public Enemy. I mean, there's BDP, there's Eric B and Rakim. Well, if, 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 okay, so if we count them tribe. as if you count them as groups, well, because you have to. Okay, so I would BD KRS One is my favorite rapper. Is my favorite rapper like of all time? You know, so if I count BDP as a group, I gotta put them. But in then there. he continued. Yeah, he was. Group. I think of him more as solo, yeah, yeah, even yeah, though they yeah. did some great stuff. Um, Eric B and Rakim. You're right. I kind of, because Rakim or Eric B was the DJ and wasn't rapping, I always think of Rakim more right. as a solo. Same with like Gangstar, but yes, yes. But you know, Premier, I mean, that was, he told me he had his, that, yep. was, that was a group. Yep. Because yep. every beat was made. Yeah. So I guess for my era, groups, I would say, like I said, Run DMC, Public Enemy, Wu Tang Clan, EPMD. I wanted to look at the 90s group. Who? I mean, there was... It, was, it wasn't more soloist. It was you, Tribe. Well, you I said Wu. I think you Tribe. Dayla. Um, Dayla. I mean, there's... Uh, I'm, we're forgetting a whole bunch I'm of... I'm trying to look at... I think you have to... You kind of have to put Outkast in there. They're... they're you kind of have to put Outkast in there. All right. And then the obligatory top five MCs. These are your favorites. Just my favorites. These are your just favorites. There's yet. no skill level. Who Just your starting five MCs. I'll even give you a cherry on top for the sixth one. <laughs> I got to say... KRS One, I'm gonna say this isn't order, but KRS One, Rakim, Big Daddy Kane, love the, those are he's those underrated, are, right? He's ridiculous. His word, he was, he was. You know who I'm gonna say, man? For he made some stuff. I won't say whack, but he made some stuff that wasn't up to his to me, up to his standards. Okay, but his best stuff. It ain't hard to tell. Uh-huh. Nas is like, like when Nas was at the top of his game, mm-hmm. I don't think. I, or when he I, is. because when, when he is, exactly. When he is at when the top of When he's in the pocket. I don't think anybody can even, I got to admit, I don't think even Rakim 
is as dope as Nas mm-hmm. when Nas is at his best. And the, the body of work is just, it, it went on for a little longer. Yeah, yeah. And that's sacrilegious what you just said. I'm glad you're the one saying <laughs> it. But I know, I know what you mean. Right. I, I know, because Rakim started it. Without Rakim, there wouldn't have been a Nas. Without a Rakim, right? there wouldn't have been a lot of people. Yeah, because he changed the whole game with his wordplay and style. But Nas, so he, so I got to put Nas in there. So that's Big Daddy K. And look, it's funny because, like you said, sometimes you listen to stuff back then. And you compare it to the wordplay to like stuff later, and it might not sound as clever. Mm-hmm. But I think I have to say LL. I'm not gonna I have argue to say with LL. Him. He's sick. Yeah, like you'll rock, which wasn't a big huge hit, but his wordplay on that was dope. You know, um, I'm bad, obviously. Radio, like I need a beat. I mean, yep, dear yep. Yvette, like like yo, he's. I mean, he's got joint he was, after yeah, joint was, after joint. His just vocabulary get, was crazy. Different like, styles going back. To, yeah. Like, he made songs that were straight hip-hop pop. Yes. Like, yes. going back to Cali's a hip-hop song. Yep. It's a, you know, it's a unique yep. hip-hop song, but, like, but you're listening. Like, he was never, like, whack. And then yeah. battle rappers, you still don't oh, want it with him. Nah, nah, nah. You don't want to wait, like, the CSI. You might be, yeah. oh, he's on TNT. <laughs> right. and li- You don't want it with right, him. Right, right. Like, so, he, he could come out, like, right now and just shut and, and it down, damaged, like, right now. Yeah, yeah, nah, no question. So, so, I, so I said... You uh, said Kane? My my three would my first three is the same. Kane, okay. Rakim, and, Bo- uh, and, and, and Karis one. Yeah, those are my three that are my obligatory three. Okay. Uh, so, so who I'm, you got? My, my obligatory three are those guys, and then my standard list, I would go Hove and Nas. Yeah. Those are and okay. Then, so we and then Nas. you know, like Tupac and Biggie, the bodies of work because of obviously the, their passings. They were so they were so young, twenty five. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But they still put a lot of work in. <clears throat> Biggie, look, it's hard not to have Biggie. Like Biggie was just dope. I mean, his from the voice to the wordplay, the flow, the flow. Yeah, I mean, the sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know the, the like the stuff he was, you know, like it, it was unbelievable. Like if I had to go with an obligatory six, I mean, Jay Z. Look, I would probably go Biggie as six, but I think you know who else was dope. He ain't in the top. Cool G Rap, ridiculous. Cool G Rap was crazy, but I think an objective list because you know if you're talking about the best rappers, it's like the best NBA players. You have to go, okay, skills on the mic, record sales. That yep. has to be a part of it. Yep. You know, so you can't, you know, like most Def said, the best rapper is a local dude, local cat. But that's that may be true. You got some dudes that's got underground backpackers mm-hmm. that got crazy skills. Mm-hmm. But if you don't make the dopest songs, mm-hmm. Cannabis was dope. Sick. But he just didn't make the greatest songs. I agree. You know, so... So record sales has to be a part of it. And songs. And songs, yes. Great songs, you know. Uh, so all that. Because it's like, otherwise it's like just street ball. Yeah, like It's like, exactly. but you didn't make it to the pros. Exactly. So I think an objective look, you might have to have Jay-Z as the best. I don't have him in my top five, but you were probably, you know, just because he, he got skills, his storytelling, the topics, longevity, um, record songs. sales, songs, like you probably got to give it to him in that regard. All right. Listen, Chris Broussard. 
Where we go, like three hours? It was an hour and 20 minutes, but it was, this was a, a flamethrower. <laughs> um, sources, you gave me the sources, you gave me the information, you gave me the predictions. I've always told you this, you're my favorite guy talking basketball. Look, so to I, have, know it, I know if Stephen A. Smith was here, you'd be saying the same no, thing. No, I've always said this. I've always said this to you. I've, not, I, I, I've always said this to you. Um, you have. You I have. appreciate you rocking me. I, I would love when the finals are when the finals are laid out. During I come, the finals, uh, all you, right, whenever I'm you locking want, you in. I'm lock me you in. Ain't, you ain't you gonna be in L. A. for? I'm here. Ne- okay, I'm here for so, it. I'll be through the pleasure and pain. Okay. You, you know, you, we don't need to talk about my feelings. They're very clear on <laughs> where, how I want things to go. Um, I appreciate you coming through on the podcast. Loved it, man. And, Loved it. And, um, and uh, you know, you, you're, you're the dude. All right, man. I appreciate it, man. This was great. I, I could go on all day. I know, this has I been know. a great conversation. But um, thank you for having me. And you'll be on In the Zone in the first or second week of June. Done. We'll do it. Done. Okay, all cool. Right. I appreciate it.